But if we don't become planetary curators and understand that we have to live off the limited amount of natural capital available without trashing our host environment, then then we aren't going to survive as a species. So this is this is this is a, a life-changing event. Everyone and welcome to FutureX, a podcast by Martin Hearn, event director, FutureBuild, and co-host Dr. Oliver Jones, research director, at Rider Architecture. FutureX will bring together some of the brightest minds and some of the most disruptive thinkers and innovators to transform the construction industry and build a FutureX community of like-minded people that can begin to make a real change. We really hope you enjoy the series. Hello and welcome to Future X. I'm Martin Hearn, Event Director at Future Build, and once again, really pleased to be joined by my co-host, Dr. Oliver Jones from Rider Architecture. Oliver, we're in for a real treat this week. Absolutely. One of our one of my childhood heroes that we're going to speak to, an innovation guru and pioneer with regards to sustainable design. And I must say, this is someone as well that I've worked with probably for as long as I've been working on EcoBuild and now FutureBuild and has probably brought some of the most fascinating um, features to the show and probably stretched me to my breaking limits on, the, on a number of times in terms of logistics. But someone that just never gives up and has stayed true to those sustainability links. Oh, unbelievably. There's some of the things that... Well, do you want to... Tell the audience who's joining us. Yeah, I suppose if they haven't already guessed, so we're really honoured to have um, Bill Dunster, OBE, um, from Z Power. The, the thing that strikes me about Bill, and every time I listen to him or, or speak to him, and this was no different on this occasion, is his unwavering commitment to innovation, to trying to do things better, to investing everything he's got in life, energy, money into trying to make a difference in terms of environmental design and moving moving the sector forward in, in, in that space and just doing it because it makes sense you know i absolutely loved this interview with bill yeah no i i agree and i, and I think you know bill literally wrote the book or two books you know on on sustainability um, in the built environment and i think what always fascinates me is that it always seems like he's just ahead of the curve all the time you know, he's talking, you know, at the moment about, you know, off grid. Um, he's talking about battery power, you know, integrated solar facades. And, you know, he's been talking about that for, you know, almost a decade. And now that technology is really advancing and we're seeing it, you know, on almost every single, you know, new build across the country. I mean, I talked about it on my intro about Bill being a childhood hero. But, you know, you asked me not long ago, who did I admire at university and who did I look up to in that sort of space? And, and Bill was absolutely one of those movers and shakers and those innovators when I was at university, um, who I, whose books I would really devour and whose work I would follow. Um, and it's amazing to hear from him in terms of the things that he's working on. And you're right, you know, the, the stuff that he's looking at around um, zero energy homes and creating entire communities and entire societies um, i think in this podcast it even goes to entire civilizations mm. Um, mm. that are focused just on that relationship with the planet and providing totally clean totally renewable and totally free energy is it, it, it it's really visionary and, I, and I, what's nice about bill is i don't think you'd ever 
could ever accept that label. Um, but my God, did he open my eyes during our conversation and, and, and I found it really inspirational. Yeah, no, it, you know, what, what put it into context for me is if you think about it, you know, he developed, um, you know, Rural Z, that development in Upton Square, back in 2009, and that hit, you know, the, the Cove Stable Homes level six. You know, and it's now we're looking, you know, you know, at exemplar projects that are hitting net zero or, you know, zero bills. And he, he's done that, you know, for over 15, 20 years. And this guy's done some crazy things at Future Building, hasn't he? <laughs> yes, yes. We've had um, Homes on Stilts. Um, we've had... Um, a whole HMO that he that he built at the show. We've had um, something called the Ark, which was a sort of a early glamping concept, actually. Um, and you know, not to put any spoilers, but he's threatening to bring a tiny home uh, next year. So um, yeah, <laughs> always pushing the boundaries and always pushing the boundaries of what, of what we can uh, showcase at Future Build as well. So great collaborator and um, yeah, a great friend as well. So really excited to hear from him. Let's dive in. Thank you, Bill, for uh, for coming on um, Future X. For me, when I was talking to Oliver and we were tasked with bringing on a guest that was either a pioneer, a disruptor, or an innovator, I think you were one of the people that came to mind that ticked all three of those boxes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what drives you? I'm very honoured to be called any of those things, but... Um, uh, oh. I wish it was all true. Um, I, I think probably the most um, important thing about what uh, what we've been trying to do is that we took we recognised the need for a climate neutral lifestyle about 25, 30 years ago, and we just kept trying to do it. So it's it's kind of um, dogmatic at one level and on another level a bit sad you just keep doing the same thing year after year after year the only good thing about this is that very gradually you get a little bit better at it and um you know what we can do today is remarkably different to what we were doing um say in 1991 or indeed 1998 when we started uh, on bedzed um, and it really wasn't very clear at all what the right thing to do, um, have to do, um, build new urban blocks um, that were powered by renewable energy, that maximised energy efficiency, that um, maximised the convenience of a low carbon lifestyle or a zero carbon lifestyle. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a few pioneers at the time, people like Brenda and Robert Vale, who built their autonomous house, but uh, was Hockerton. But really, um, nothing in the urban, on an, on an urban scale, nothing at the kind of densities that, 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 that would be useful for urban regeneration projects in the UK, because we're very short of land and... Um, we're currently importing at least 70% of our food. So we can't really take up, we can't lose agricultural land for, for urban settlement. We worked with, um, in the early days, we worked with environmental uh, pressure groups. We worked with a, a charity called the Bioregional Development Group. Um, we got, we're getting 
we got then and we are getting increasingly fed up with with formulaic um uh, methodologies you know just it, 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 if if the low carbon society is just a series of boxes to tick then uh, count me out <laughs> um it's it's depressing and and there is a very strong danger that if you follow these these very simplistic rules which are often not based on on, on facts or science or progress um you can actually end up with um quite quite a quite a chronic dystopia um uh, and indeed, it will descend into eco-fascism. A few more years of Boris and you'll probably get there. Expand upon that a little bit, Bill. Well, what seems to be happening is that the internet and the ability to share large amounts of information make it increasingly difficult for many people to decide what is the right information. Um, Extinction rebellions say, tell the truth, but what is the truth and how do they know? And equally, how does the government know and how do all these big companies know? So it's, it's, it's a complex issue. And then because people logging in to all the, or, you know, making these personal inquiries or personal journeys um, to try and find the truth or try and do the right thing or try and uh, lead a, a low carbon life, they tend to go, they tend to follow, they tend to get their, their um, prejudices reinforced by their, their browsing histories. And um, it polarizes the debate and everything becomes more extreme. Um, there's less uh, cross-pollination of ideas and, and you, you, get, you get these very rigid mindsets where one faction is fighting another and you see it in the construction industry, you see it in um, all of the different green building uh, councils and the like, you see it in, in um, the NGOs, the environmental pressure groups. Um, and it, 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 it's actually very sad. It's, it's perhaps inevitable, but it is not nonetheless a, a, a big problem. And um, the real unfortunate uh, position in my, in my view is that, is that there isn't a right answer. And that's not what anybody wants to hear. People just want simple, simplistic solutions that are easy to follow, that, that, that fit into their three-minute culture or their attention span or their, or their, or their uh, ability to, to actually do something, their, their, their allocation of resources. Um, so I think, I, think, I think that's a problem. And um, yeah, my plea is uh, in your FutureX uh, process that you... you, you you try and get as much diversity and, and you, you try to show different polemics and um, there will be a way forward. It's just, it's, just, it's just complicated. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, could we take a step back a minute, Bill, and just, you mentioned the timeline and the journey that you've been on in terms of your career and the projects that you've worked on in sustainability. Could you give us a little, just a short potted history of that? Yeah, um, when I was, uh, I went to Edinburgh University a really long time ago. I was kind of taught by the uh, basically fairly hardcore hippies. Those, those people did exist. I, you know, I was introduced to uh, the work of Schumacher, Small is Beautiful, Fritjof Capra, The Turning Point. I don't know, these are all iconic green texts. Um, computers hadn't really been invented. They were the size of a room when I was um training and uh, indeed i had to draw everything with a repeater graph i bet you don't even know what that is 
<laughs> uh, on tracing paper with razor blades. So um, it, it was it was a different world, and um, we I've always been very I've, I've always been deeply unhappy with with uh, architecture and indeed building because I always felt it destroyed um, what was you know in in our country a very beautiful host landscape. So I have an aesthetic revulsion, I suppose, for for most um, most construction projects. I find them very ugly, and I just wondered, um, you know, whether it was possible to to you know ha have a fresh priority um, and and design buildings that that worked had a more harmonious relationship with the natural world, um, reduced their um, ecological footprint, their consumption of natural capital. Um, and and of course gave us a future which could actually work. And uh, you know, it's clear to me that um, we cannot afford to take any more fossil fuels out of the ground at all. Climate change is accelerating beyond uh, our, our our expectations, um, and uh, we're we're probably in you know a fair amount of trouble. Um, we've known it for a really long time. Uh, we knew it then. But it hasn't, it hasn't, you know, broken out into the collective consciousness. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of big companies and a lot of a lot of you know commercial industry players have have uh, have have benefit, have, have got rich by causing the problem. And um, that's one of the reasons why I've never been very keen to join all these green building councils and the like, because because I felt uh, if you put all you put everyone in in a, in a single room that caused the problem, and then you you correctly ask them to sort it out, but they don't admit to it. And so I feel I feel you know all the heavy lifting had to be done by really quite fringe individuals, um, just thinking things through from their own position, and and making significant progress. It upsets me that Brenda and Robert Vale uh, had to emigrate to New Zealand to be taken seriously. Um, it upsets me that 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 you know people uh, have to do projects in slate quarries in North Wales um, and, and and not seem to get through into uh, into 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 a more mainstream world. Um, the AECB Association for Environmentally Conscious Building, you know, all that stuff has been going on for years and years and years. Um, most of it's you know, even long before Passive House, you know, was fit, was 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 going. So it's there. There is a sort of subculture which hasn't really made it into the mainstream, and I suppose that's what we tried to do when we designed a project like Bedzed. You know, how do you take a project like Hockerton and scale it up to to you know the same density as Soho and give everyone a garden, get passive solar uh, heating working with thermally massive construction and and um, super insulation and triple glazing and passive heat recovery ventilation and run everything off uh, uh, biofueled um, CHP, which was originally planning to run on uh, on short rotation coppice grown on a, an adjacent um, landfill site and obviously supported by solar building integrated photovoltaics. There wasn't much wrong with the agenda that we set ourselves then um really what's just happened since then is that the supply chain industry and the technology has 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 achieved economies of scale 
mainly, unfortunately, um, due to other countries taking um, taking the lead or showing leadership, and all the things we started to do then are now much much easier to deliver, which is great. So I'm I'm, I'm optimistic. What about the, you know, you touched upon a few things there, Bill, that are holding the sector back. What do you feel is holding the sector back at the moment? And and do you are you encouraged or enthused by the amount of young people that are, are really getting quite passionate about environmental design? Um yes, I am I am encouraged, although I'm not seeing it actually. Mm-hmm. Interestingly. Um I do a bit of teaching, I do see. I do see, um, you know, the, the, the sort of some of the student work. Um, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm fairly horrified by the quality of the teaching I see in universities. And why it, is that, Bill? It, it's really not out. It's really not out there, because because it's not a. The, you only understand this stuff if you've really tried to do it, and you know you can't you can't talk about. Um, how to design cities or retrofit existing buildings or or design new housing or design new works places unless you you really understand all the technologies you've made all the mistakes you 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 can see the difference between uh, leading edge and bleeding edge and what really works have to you know architecture is a very pragmatic uh, discipline um, you're playing around with large amounts of other people's money it has to seriously work and i don't i just don't see that experience at the you know within the universities there you know a full-time academic cannot have that that um that understanding um and they don't (laughs) believe me and and how about the how about the sector as a you know the state of the sector at the moment in terms of your appraisal of it how do you feel that we're getting on well, it's it's like all these things, isn't it? There's some really good progress being made by some people in certain areas, and and uh, most of it's just embarrassing, really. Um, you, you know, I if I want to go and buy a um, uh, a heat pump for a for a, a zero bills home, I can't go. I can't buy it in the UK. It doesn't exist. You know, I have to go to Denmark or Deutschland or, you know, all these places where there's, um, you know, it's a standard product and they've already achieved economies of scale. And, you know, we could have been there if we'd um, adopted Code 6 in 2016. Code for Sustainable Homes was made mandatory. All these things could have happened, but they didn't, did they? These are political, political decisions people made. I agree, Bill, because you were doing, you know, BedZ was 2002, Copa Homes had written in 2006, you had the Zero Carbon Hub established in 2007. You know, it feels like the, all the building blocks are there in place for, a, you know, a zero carbon built environment. You know, where, what stopped that? Well, I remember we did the first terrace of Code 6 Homes at uh, Upton, Mm. on the outskirts of Northampton on um, on a Prince of Wales approved master plan and um, you know we were surrounded by you know usual um, Poundbury uh, street elevations and we, we, we did an uncompromising sort of 
Code 6 little hamlet of five units. And um, it was just so, so hard. People saying, you know, we don't like the way these houses look. Some people saying they really like the way the houses looked. It, it, it polarised the, the, the planning debate. You know, we had we had kind of hate mail from new urbanists. Um, we had hate mail from modernists um, when when Eva Drickner formed part of the Sterling Prize assessment jury and walked round Bedshead to judge it. Um, she said, "I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't go in these homes. The windows mullions are all too thick." You know, so I said, "Well, why are they so thick?" Well, because they're wooden. You know, you can't, if you're a, you know, high-tech, contemporary, you know, modernist, and, you know, you can't handle a wooden window, I don't know what to say. So, when it, you know, I think, I think, why did Code 6 get stopped? Because the housing, the volume house builders could have rolled it out. It wasn't a big deal but they could make a lot more money by not bothering. And it wasn't, you know, there was no, there wasn't a single house builder that really found a way. They, they built all these houses at the BRE that showed it was difficult to do. We built, we, we, we put all our savings into another house, which showed it was possible. That was the zero bills home at the BRE. We couldn't get a single politician to even visit it. It took about four years to get uh, an MP to even come and look at it because it was so off message. They were so embarrassed by, by the fact they cancelled the whole, the whole programme. And the reason why we built that house was to show that it was possible to have a home that gave you no net annual energy bill. So even if you didn't believe in climate change, at least go and, go and buy one um, uh, or, or build them because, because you don't want to get an energy bill again in your life. And that, that I really stand by. Um, so we're at the point now where we feel um, that there's just no that there's just no further ideas. They 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 haven't got a solution. They haven't got enough. They're not generating enough electricity. They can't build nuclear power stations fast enough, um, even if you wanted to build them, them them in the first place. You know there is there is just no plan for a workable future. And and you've got to reduce your electric consumption, but instead we're increasing it. We can't ever meet our current levels of consumption off renewable energy, and I've always said that. You have to, you have to reduce your demand, you know, and that's what people like Amory Lovins have been saying for decades as well. You know, it's it's factor ten. So I, I, I we are designing homes now, which do, which which really are, you know, have a fifth of the energy consumption of a building regs building uh, built at the start of my career. And that's real. And when you've reduced your demand for energy to the point that you, you can on say a contemporary zero bills home or, or whatever kind of housing projects we're doing now, it's very marginal whether you even need the grid. I mean, we are, we are having serious debates on new projects whether, whether to bother connecting to the grid because it's, it's, it's costing so much money there's so much, so many rules attached to it, and frankly, the amount of uh, energy being traded is so low. We can meet, we can generate it all anyway by the by the intelligence. Well, that's of... really topical at the moment, clearly, Bill, with what's happening in the UK around gas and energy prices. And the, 
I'd like to explore that a little bit more. The idea that you that you're really strongly considering not connecting homes to the grid. On one of our homes at the moment, we're 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 basically overproducing for about nine months of the year, and it's only a few winter months where 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 you're where you've been in where you're importing electricity. But the cost of uh, battery storage has come down so much, and the um, quality of the uh, smart grid inverters is is, is now so good. Um, we're at the point where it's it's very borderline you know it's off off grid is now working having said that these aren't these aren't luxury houses you know these are these are these are small and they're they're for people who need houses not 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 <laughs> they're not they're not muck mansions um and i think this is really 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 interesting we're quite interested now in the tiny house movement as well. This idea that um, homes have to meet 1970s space standards in a in a society where people are are, are homeless. Um, I take the dog for a walk every morning, and people are sleeping in the in in, a, in the local recreation ground in tents all year round. the The local river is 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 full of slum boats. People, you know, people aren't solving problems anymore. You can't get planning for affordable homes um, in many parts of the UK because the planning system, which is democratic, doesn't want uh, existing uh, property values challenged. So if self-interest is the only motivator for the planning system, how do you have a, a civic stable society with, with you know, that, 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 that provides habitation for, for the disadvantaged. You don't get it, do you? You just get people sleeping on recreation grounds. I suppose that, that, that takes us towards your, you know, we mentioned earlier the, the books and the publications that you've come out with. And your book, Zed Life, talks about that, how to develop that low carbon society. I suppose, is there, is there anything that you want to share with the listeners of this podcast in terms of the, some of the key points around how to develop a low carbon society? From your perspective, I, I suppose the um, uh, I suppose our conclusion uh, is at this stage is that simplification is is required because you don't really get any meaningful change in 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 in, in industry unless you've got a. a Economies of scale and rational and rationalisation. So, how do you design a, um, a home that has no net annual energy bills? Well, you've got to have a very simple cladding system and a very simple roofing system that generates electricity um, that replaces a normal roof, that replaces normal cladding systems. How do you how do you achieve a super insulated wall that is breathing and airtight and doesn't use toxic uh, urethane foams and Grenfell materials and so on. There's a whole series of, of, of problems which are, are basic. Yes, they can be sold by a number of different products. And if you can make them into a kit of parts uh, as open as possible, and you understand the carbon footprint of each of, of these components, they can fit together a bit like you know, all the kit, kit of parts that makes a car or makes a laptop or 
And I see that as the future. It's the integration of these intelligent subcomponents. And from understanding these basic principles, understanding the build, you know, a consistent building physics model, understanding the properties of each one of these uh, architectural subcomponents, that then creates uh, an overall building, that then creates a street, that then uh, creates a transport network, it then creates uh, an, an, an energy master plan. And in the end, it creates a, a national policy that runs a country. And that's what we were trying for in the Z Life book. It, it's, it's a scalable concept that starts from the, the, these individual terribly small components. So, you know, how does a wall tie change a city? Well, it does. How does building integrated photovoltaics, you know, um, how does that change the, the, the design of an urban district? Well, it does. It's the difference between uh, that, that urban district surviving in an energy constrained future. Um, how does accelerating climatic change, how does climate change adaptation affect urban design? It really does. I mean, it's serious stuff. Is this being taught? No. Does anybody really understand it? Not really. I don't see it. Um, I, I see all the architectural magazines that come through my door every, you know, very, very little. You know, this, this, these issues are hardly addressed. Having said that, you know, the RIBA has produced a, a very comprehensive, um, road, you know, roadmap or code of conduct for architects. Don't know how many have signed up to it. I don't know. But that's, that's, so there's, there's, there's rhetoric and uh, an intent to deliver a, a, a low carbon or zero carbon society that works. But I think the, the real challenge is making it simple enough and understanding the relationships between all the components in such a way that, that, that people can just adopt it in the same way that they could, um, they could assemble an IKEA kitchen. Bill, you've, um, you've talked loads here about innovation and in particular those sort of scalable solutions. What are you seeing as the sort of the key components or the, the technologies that can really start to address this climate emergency and, and movement to net zero? And, and also the sort of second part of that is wh what do you see is the need to be developed or the, the technology that's not out there quite yet? Um, I, I think the key, the key thing at the moment is the integration of different disciplines. So let's just say, how do you, how do you merge transport with architecture? Well, you can, you can solve both problems. So for example, we're working on, on, a, on an exchangeable um, LTO, lithium titanium oxide uh, battery, which has 30,000 charge cycles and most uh, electric batteries for cars and e-bikes and whatever have about somewhere between 500 and 2000 charge cycles so it's a battery so if you could store electricity and you could pick it up and put it in a, an electric bike or put it in a motorcycle or a scooter or a small ele electric car or plug it into the wall of your house and that charge directly from the wall of your house or the roof of your house you basically you've got it you've, you've got a little measure of of, of, of energy independence. So one tiny piece of investment in a, in a battery, maybe it's maybe you're renting it, maybe you buy it, I don't mind, it doesn't matter. What you, you suddenly you're able to store your own fuel and you're able to 
power your laptop, you're able to power this conversation, you're able to go to work on it in the morning. And I see that as it's a bit like the mobile phone just completely took over landlines. Nobody has a landline anymore, particularly after COVID. I see this as being, you know, the way things are going. Um, we will just sort ourselves out. It's just down to individuals now. You won't get governments. You won't get big companies coming in and helping. It's just, it's just down to all us now. And I suppose it's, it's, this has never really been possible. I haven't been able to carry a kilowatt hour in my, in my hand before. Okay, this is new. Um, I haven't been able to generate uh, a kilowatt hour in a day from a, a couple of uh, 320 watt BIPV panels, which I, you know, which would form a, a solar shade over a window. This hasn't been possible, okay? Um, hasn't been possible to run a house in one day of four kilowatt hours. That's only four batteries to run my house. Um, hasn't been possible to get to work and back on one kilowatt hour. So that's that's how I see I see the future going like that. And if you haven't got one of the sort of you don't have to totally rely on solar because your mobile battery storage system can be powered by um, farm produced biogas. And I'm working with a farmer at the moment to compress anaerobic the gas from anaerobic digestion, which you know, it's basically hydrogen-rich biomethane, and um, and we can turn that into electricity very easily using fuel cells. So I can charge uh, sixteen Teslas out of a two-meter cube of, of 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 biogas. So I can now see a way of powering villages. I can see a way of powering towns off the agricultural hinterland around them. I can see a way of powering the A3 from the farmland on either side. Um, that's, that's how, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is where we think um, innovation will come. And um, I, I suppose it's that integration of, 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 of different disciplines and different, and different sectors, which, which, which will produce the real innovations. I want, I want to um, go on holiday, but I want to go on holiday in an airship. I want to land in the middle of Paris or Geneva um, or Lausanne, you know, I can, in, in it from, from a biogas powered airship. You know, these, these are all things that can come and they aren't, they're not a worse world. Actually, it's a better world. I'd like to, to see, um, a new architectural vernacular, which which celebrated this low carbon thinking. Um, I don't want to see uh, tired old stuff from um, architectural superstars of the uh, uh, of the last few years. Um, I, I'm 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 well bored of it. You know, let's let's talk about um, how. Uh, how all these ideas create a new, a, a new, a new architectural language. Couldn't agree more, Bill. I think you've you provided us with an awful lot of insight there. I think your the ideas that you speak about around energy independence are, are, are really inspiring, and and your get up and go to go and start these experimentations and these innovations with farmers and and looking at thirty thousand 
kilowatt hour batteries and and the 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 way that you the way that you're talking about it just where does that drive come from bill you know why is it not normal in terms of our architectural approach in terms of our approach to innovation and and research and development in the industry you know can you tell us a bit more about those those projects but also that drive to Um, to do those things I, i suppose it's more just um we no one ever asked us to do a single project. This is the truth, um, which is actually very, very sad. So what, what I found was that people just weren't asking the right questions. Clients didn't ask for things that they didn't understand or didn't know. You, you don't tend to get um, these kind of step change innovations unless you set them up yourself. So if, if you're the only person that's sort of really thinking along these lines or really worrying about it, put to be blunt, you know, at the time, I'm not saying that's the case at the moment, but at the time, you can't really expect someone else to come along and say, well, let's, let's you know, let's have one of those or let's contribute to that piece of R&D. And every time I put in an R&D application in the UK and it went out, it was assessed by, you know, someone high up in Barrett homes or, or, or some well-known architectural practice. And they'd say, well, this guy's a nutter. In fact, I can very well known of environmental architects who are very rich and very, very successful. So thank God, he actually went to one of these things and said, thank God for Bill Dunster. Um, you know, he makes me look sane. And you, and you kind of realize that there's a sort of whole raft of, of we're so, None of these things are, are interestingly, none of these things are, are, are that radical and none of these things are that difficult, but, but no one will do them because it, it just involves too much of a shared agenda. They, you know, if you, it's, 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 it's too complex. And I think the benefit from the, these kinds of discussions are, well, actually, What's been achieved or what could be achieved if we all collaborated um, and, and found a way forward? Well, yes, it's, it's, it's entirely possible, but you won't get there by waiting for somebody else to tell you to go and do it. So that, that's my message. Just get on with it. Um, it is hard. It, it's, not, it's not a, a, a great um, financially rewarding um, strategy. I think the... You know, it it can be. There's no reason why it couldn't be, but but it requires enough. We we haven't really found um, enough people in positions of or, or authority or, or, or frankly wealth to really support this. And if return on investment is and and minimising risk is your game, and that's what that's what all these. Um, venture capital, you know, that's, 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 that's very much the name of their operation or the goal, the, the aim of their operation, then how would they ever support any of the things we've just been talking about? They, they, they couldn't. But to achieve a, a workable, low-carbon society, we've somehow all got to, we've got to collaborate. Uh, so that's it, really. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I don't claim anything that, that, that we've done is particularly brilliant. All I'm really saying is that we're just trying to do the same thing for a very long time. And I'm sure 
someone else will come up and, and and do it better and that's absolutely terrific i'm really looking forward to uh uh sitting in the deck chair in the garden and um i'm watching just on that note in terms of the other you know the younger companies that are coming through and anyone that's starting up a practice today or younger professionals that really want to get into environmental design you know you've been through this journey and are a, a bona fide veteran of environmental design and a pioneer in the field have you got any insights or any words of wisdom or advice i'm sure you wouldn't call them those to 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 those younger startups and then people who are passionate about delivering environmental design as a practice um yes i think i think there's it's terribly important to have um real real practical experience and i don't think you can learn that stuff um so my advice, if you're serious, go and build yourself an off-grid tiny house and live in it for at least two or three seasons. Understand what works, understand what doesn't work, understand how you can do it better, um, understand all of the ingredients, build it yourself so you understand the difference between a Torx head stainless steel screw and a, a cheap galvanised one that will rust in in six months. Understand it. Um, understand that uh, the ch- your choice of paint makes a fantastic contribution to indoor air quality. Understand what happens when the NVHR breaks. Um, understand how to wire up a solar panel. Understand how to make batteries work. Um, understand how much energy you use every time you boil a kettle. Give you, you know, understand what's life to live off a, 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 an energy budget, and you'll find it's great. It's, it's all possible, and then then you're in a position to really advise other people how to roll it out at scale, and um, that's fine. That's 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 a cracking start. You've mentioned electric in uh, energy independence. A lot of the things you've talked about are along the lines of self-reliance in terms of an approach to the way that we design and build and, and, and live our lives. You know, we, you've talked about your vision of the future. Could you sum that up for us? You know, our, our tagline as Future X is, is our future is yet to be determined. And mm. what, what would your vision for the future of the planet and the future of the sector be? Okay, well, I've got a, I've got a, there's a um, methodology we've been working on for some time, which is called a climate neutral methodology. So we, we try to make all of our projects overall climate neutral over their entire life span. So it uses a sort of life cycle carbon footprint methodology. And we, we optimize durability. So the, the projects last as long as possible. We optimize energy efficiency. We optimize renewable energy generation and we minimize embodied carbon. And with those parameters all optimized, if we can generate a little bit more renewable electricity every year than we actually use to run these projects and maintain them, um, we can use that um, the carbon footprint of the avoided grid electricity from that excess electricity to, to offset the embodied carbon of the original construction. And we're getting to the point now where one number bit like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if you remember. Yeah. Um, one number 
basically summarizes whether you've you've done a good job or not. You don't have to get involved with Briam or Driam or whatever the whatever the checklists tell you. Um, so we've achieved um, 35, and that's the number of years it took to repay the embodied carbon with the renewable energy surplus generated by a project. So every single human endeavor can be done using the same. So you just want a number on every single human activity, every single project, every single, whether it's a, a tank, whether it's a, a book, whether it's, you know, you can do it. So it, it carbon becomes the new currency. And climate neutrality is, is, is basically the objective of civilization. And obviously all those other things such as democracy and uh, equity and so on are, 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 are equally important to be built in. Oliver, an absolutely fascinating conversation there with Bill. I think we could have spoke for hours. Honestly, Bill, Bill lights me up every time I hear him speak and, and actually interviewing Bill was an absolute pleasure. I agree. We could have gone on and on and on. He touched on so many on so many topics. You know, he's, he's discontent with political leadership and, and direction around net zero standards. Um, you know, his, his same misgivings around the university system and, and our education and around environmental design. I uh, I think what really stood out for me is when we talked to him and asked him about um, the current energy crisis and actually. He's already designed a zero bill home and an off-grid home and is designing an off-grid community which is in in the pipeline so you know it's absolutely amazing and i think you know you talk about communities and there's no better you know real example of that than his bedzed project um that he did and i had the privilege of going down and seeing him he's still got an office there at bedzed and it's amazing community um absolutely you know it takes in account all those biggest big pressing issues really you have in the built environment at the moment in terms of public or communal space urban greening it's even got you know considering it's built in 2003 it's got electricity points for uh, ev cars um it's got community centers um you know all of these things that are now um you know seen as the future of housing development as he was doing over you know almost 20 years ago and he's you know he told us on the podcast that if you want to be there and you want to get into it you're not going to learn it at university. You've just got to get in the trenches and you've got to start doing it. And I think that's what came across wholeheartedly with Bill is that his just unwavering commitment, his drive and his passion. Um, and he's, he's gone all in. And, and that's why he's a pioneer. That's why he's an innovator and why he continues to be a disruptor. So really enjoyed that and can't wait for the next time we have a chat. <laughs> and the absolute sort of perfect future ex-guest as well because you know activist at heart disruptor you know and, and as you said a true pioneer so um anyway we've got a whole more another series of uh, those innovators pioneers and disruptors coming up so if you like today's episode please like subscribe and share and we will see you next week see you later guys join our community to stay up to date with all things future x visit futurebuild.co.uk to sign up Please also like them and share them to help grow our community. You can subscribe to the podcasts within your favourite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you'll be back again soon.